If you're going to run a great business, you've got to have great people, and finding them is a huge part of that puzzle. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com has a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. You can find them, but ZipRecruiter is how. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. One more time, try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire. Once you check out their interface and you see those candidates come right into your inbox, you're going to realize it's a great choice. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. You are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump refocuses the national debate on immigration, despite the fact that the media didn't seem to want to cover any of his remarks today about MS-13 or any immigration-related issue. We'll talk about that also. A federal judge has gone crazy with a decision that the president cannot block anyone on Twitter because of the First Amendment. Also, the NFL has a new policy on kneeling and jared kushner gets his top secret clearance i wonder how much coverage that will get on cnn that and more coming up this This is the buck sexton show where the mission or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence make Make no mistake america you're a great american again the buck sexton show begins former cia analyst former member of the nypd buck sexton it is buck sexton now Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody, live from the swamp, also known as our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Actually uh, getting acclimated down here, turning into a swamp thing. That's why I need to speak to all of you every day. Keeps me uh, keeps me grounded, keeps me real. I actually get to talk to America. This place is some other bizarro time warp into Progressiveville or something. It's crazy, but... Interesting stuff going on here. Much, much to discuss today. Uh, wanted to get into it with you. First of all, just can't help but notice that the midterms happen tomorrow. I think it would be a, a huge gain for Republicans. I don't think you're going to see Democrats gaining seats in the House or the Senate unless big things change between now and then. I know this is where you can get all the political analysts to pile on. Three or four months in an election cycle is an eternity. I I know, a lot could change between now and then. Sure, I get it. But there's a problem in the Democrat Party. It's a problem. You see, they used to be able to get away with running like they were all going to be, you know, blue dog Democrats, centrist, pro-Second Amendment, even sometimes pro-life, union supporting labor helping democrats right that's that's the the old democrat party mold and they may try that now but we still see the the nancy pelosi vibe and trump hit on that last night i I think that this you're going to see a lot more of this play clip three democrats like to campaign 
as moderates at election time. But when they go to Washington, they always vote for the radical Pelosi agenda down the line. We will need to elect more members of Congress who will protect life, support our military, secure our borders and grow our economy and continue making America great again. Yeah, they're going to have a problem convincing people. They're going to have a problem uh, in a lot of states where Trump, remember, states that went for Obama twice and now have gone for Trump. There's going to be some difficulties pushing for campaigns, pushing for candidates who are supposed to appeal to those uh, predominantly uh, working class white rural voters or or in states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Ohio. But we all know where the party is when we're talking to the Democrats. We know where the left is on these issues, and they're not it's not even enough to say they're not in the mainstream of American thought. They're they're on some other planet. I mean they're dealing with some other stuff. I couldn't help but notice this uh Stacey Adams who won the nomination for the Georgia governor's race, here's what she had to say in her her victory. Because, you know, we had some primaries that just happened. Here's what she had to say. Play 17. We are resisting the xenophobia that's coming out of D.C. We're resisting the temptation to actually hurt working families by passing the tax scam. Even in 2008, when Barack Obama won big, he still lost Georgia by five percentage points. So you will have to win over some of these non-Obama voters in November. How do you do that, particularly with a message of resistance? That was a decade ago. Georgia is a very different state than it was even 10 years ago. We don't have to pivot to conservative values to win in Georgia. There we go. More of that. Give me more of that. We, we, don't, we don't need any conservative values to win in Georgia. Nah. Who needs any of that stuff? Good luck with that. It's going to go well for you. This is why originally when you had that that race for a congressional district that wasn't even going to keep being that congressional district. Um, originally with what with Connor lamb, I thought, okay, here you go. You got a guy who's uh, telegenic, good resume, military background saying that he is pro-life, but he would vote pro-choice and all the, I'm like this, this could be trouble in the midterms if they do more of this, but no, no, no. It looks like they have learned just as I said about the media with the, and I mean the entertainment media, They've learned nothing since 2016. They still just tell the same tired jokes about Trump. They still bash people that aren't from coastal cities in this country. They still bash people who don't buy into the left-wing flavor of the moment, whatever it may be, uh, who, who aren't devoted statists and, and progressives. Uh, no, no, they're, they're actually going to just keep doing what they've been doing. And I certainly hope we can see more of this from the uh, Democrats going into the midterms. I know it's early to get too down the midterms rabbit hole, but I do find it interesting. Now you've got the first time this year, a poll. It's only one poll. I understand it's a Reuters poll. It's not like this is an avalanche all going in the same direction here, but showing Republicans up. I I do want to take just a moment. Think about what it's going to be like if after they have been telling us that Trump was a racist, a sexist, uh, a xenophobe, uh, I mean, everything, right? All these terrible things. Uh, a, a sexual assaulter. I mean, all these things that they've been saying about the President of the United States. Oh, and he's a traitor, and he worked with Russia and all this. 
imagine what the response is going to be if Republicans gain in the midterms, which would be quite a feat because usually they lose in the uh, off-year election, right? Usually the midterms, the party in power tends to just, people want change, right? This is why Obama's slogan, as, as, as mindless a slogan as I think it was, hope and change, hope and change. Why did it work? Because, yeah, people are like, yeah, change. Because they just think the change is going to be the good things will get changed, right? Or things will be changed to make them better, not going to change to make it worse. Fundamental transformation of America, that that part of it didn't get worked into the slogan, but that was the Obama agenda, which I would note. President Trump is doing quite a job of erasing. In fact, I'm seeing that uh, the Congress, what did they they're they're now pulling apart Dodd Frank, too, which everybody I know who works in finance like Dodd Frank is a disaster. Democrat and Republican. I mean, people that are just practitioners in the finance space, they're like Dodd Frank is is. Written by people who don't know anything, trying to accomplish things that they won't, and it's just bad. It's bad all around. But it's yet another thing that when you look at the Obama administration, Obamacare, uh, the executive orders, Dodd-Frank, it's all getting pulled apart. And, you know, it's a reminder that the reason the framers, the reason that our founders set up the country they did the way they did, with checks and balances and the structure of our government, is you are incentivized as the president to work with the Congress. Right? If you want to get things done, you actually are supposed to go through the Congress. There are some ways that you can do an end run on it. In the case of Obama, there are some ways you could unconstitutionally get around it for a time. But if it's not actually a legislative act, it doesn't last very long. And the only way they got Obama, uh, Obamacare through was that one moment in time when they happen to have the 60 seats to get it past any objection from the minority party. And I would also note that if you hadn't had, and, and this, don't forget this, folks, if you hadn't had federal prosecutors uh, bring trumped-up charges when they knew there was exculpatory evidence against Senator Ted Stevens in Alaska, you would not have had. You would not have had that final vote for Obamacare. Yeah. Just remember that when they tell you, oh, no, Mueller, we can trust. Yeah, let's trust our prosecutors. I've never seen such a transparent effort from the media. That's usually so cops are racist, can't trust them, don't like them. You say anything about the FBI right now and, and all of a sudden you're involved in Russia collusion. You say, you know, maybe Mueller and Comey and some of these other guys are just exceeding their authority a little bit. It's like, oh. What's Putin paying you, sir? It's crazy, isn't it? But that's where we are. Um, but the Democrats have learned, they've learned nothing. They're not a more formidable party now, which is astonishing when you think about how Trump, for them, should be an opportunity to regroup, uh, regroup and, and gather up forces. And But no. No, they've really just bet it all on Russia collusion. I mean, I'm sure they think they've got something they're going to be able to pull out in September or October on this that, you know, it's going to just be the definitive. Maybe it'll be a Mueller report where, you know, they can't prove collusion, but they're going to say that you know, they don't like this person or that person that was working for Trump. I see now you've got, uh, what, what are the, there, there's this report out that Cohen was paid to uh, set up. This is by the BBC. Oh, hello, BBC. 
that uh, Trump's lawyer Cohen was paid by Ukraine to arrange White House talks. Okay, maybe maybe Cohen did, maybe he didn't. We'll see. He didn't. I mean, he denies it right now. But if he did, he's going to pay the price. If he did, he will be the one that suffers for this. But it still has nothing to do with Russia collusion. Still has nothing to do with the election. A lot of people will pay a lot of people to get access to the president. It doesn't mean that there's a Kremlin-backed conspiracy to cheat in an election. As I say, Occam's razor with these Democrats, so useful. What is more likely that twice now in my lifetime you've had president, uh, presidential elections that were stolen from the Democrats? Remember, Bush v. Gore, stolen. Stolen by the Supreme Court. Stolen by people cheating with the vote count or whatever. Whatever the variation on that wine was. And now you've got Russia-Trump collusion. Same thing. Somehow Republicans never come up with some grandiose, complicated theory to explain why we lost a presidential election. We're just like, all right, we lost this one. So did, did anybody, was anybody, oh, you know, Mitt Romney, he really beat, he really beat Obama. I mean, sure, there are a few people writing on blogs here and there, but not really. We're like, all right, Mitt Romney lost. Yeah, America, That was America's loss, by the way. I still think Mitt Romney, I don't think he would have been a transformational president. I don't think he would have been somebody that in 20 or 30 years would be like, yeah, I remember that Mitt Romney speech, but I think he would have been a very competent executive. But you know what's funny about Trump? He's a very competent executive. It's actually going really well. Country's doing very well. Economy is just roaring right now. And labor force participation is surging. So many of these metrics that we can look at and use to try and gauge the trajectory of the uh, of this country that we all call home and love so much they can't the media can't overcome this stuff they can't conjure a narrative to make all this good stuff just disappear and go away so in a sense maybe russia collusion is their only angle to play maybe that's all they've got at this point because otherwise they're gonna have to say what it's bad that Things are going so well for America. That's the position they're in right now. And that's why I think these midterms could be a very, very disappointing for the hashtag resistance. But I did mention that uh, Trump has reset the conversation onto uh, MS-13. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Spygate as well, the latest there. Um, some pretty crazy stuff about, uh, well, coming out of Clapper. And then a very interesting interview last night on Tucker Carlson's show that I wanted to get to about uh, a former CIA officer uh, who was actually imprisoned. And I'll talk to you about and and, and his experience with Mueller and Brennan, which I think we should all hear about. And then if I have time, also this millennial who would not would not leave his parents home. He has to be evicted by court order. I mean, my mom and dad are great company and, you know, they got great food and they're, you know, have a lovely home and everything. But. It just would never get to the point where a court order would be needed to evict me. You know what I mean? It seems a little extreme. But that guy went on CNN. The first guest I can think of uh, to go on CNN. It wasn't Stormy Daniels or Michael Avenatti in quite a while. So we'll get to that. And uh, and also your thoughts, my friends. If you got some uh, pre-midterm election or, or early midterm election predictions, prognostications, if you feel like you know where the this whole deep state debacle against Trump is going, any of that stuff. Love to hear from you, as always. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Much more show. Stay with me. 
If they had spies in my campaign, that would be a disgrace to this country. That would be one of the biggest insults that anyone's ever seen, and it would be very illegal, aside from everything else. It would make probably every political event ever look like small potatoes. If they had spies in my campaign, during my campaign, for political purposes, that would be unprecedented in the history of our country. When they look at the documents, uh, I think people are going to see a lot of bad things happen. I hope it's not so, because if it is, there's never been anything like it in the history of our country. I mean, if you look at Clapper, he sort of admitted that they had spies in the campaign yesterday inadvertently. But I hope it's not true, but it looks like it is. He hopes it's not true, but it definitely looks like it. I don't, I don't know how we're going to get to a point where we think it's not true at given what we already know. Meanwhile, you got uh, Sanctacomi out there tweeting the following. Facts matter. The FBI's use of confidential human sources, the actual term, is tightly regulated and essential to protecting the country. Oh, thanks, Sanctacomi. Attacks on the FBI and lying about its work will do lasting damage to our country. How will Republicans explain this to their grandchildren? He is the worst. He really is. He is the worst. First of all, say it's tightly regulated. You know who tightly regulates the use of confidential in law enforcement? They call them confidential informants. He can say confidential human sources, but it's the same thing. You you know who regulates that? Really? The presiding law enforcement agency? So you, you know who actually gets to weigh in on FBI operations when it comes to confidential informants? Just like, you know, who weighs in with the NYPD and stuff? The agency in charge. That's it. I mean, yeah, a judge can review it. And there can be lawsuits and everything. But that's if someone finds out about it. Do you know what? They don't tend to find out about it. Unless there's a prosecution brought or unless there's some big scandal. Do you, do you think that... Well, here's a better way to put it. Apparently, Comey thinks that we are all supposed to believe that... The way that, that, that the way the FBI was interacting with this Cambridge professor guy and sending him after Papadopoulos and Page and on all the reporting that's come out last week or two, that they were acting in a way where, of course, that's going to come out. No, they never thought that was going to come out. Tightly regulated, please. They didn't think they didn't think this was going to ever see the light of day with all these news reports on it. And I also would like to note, what is lying about the FBI's work when Comey refers to that? I mean, Trump went on an epic tweet storm this morning, but to somebody, you know, they always play this game of, could you imagine if that thing that Trump said, if some other president said it? Okay, well, let's play that game for a moment. How is it that the media would be okay, or would the media be okay in any way, shape, or form with a Republican administration putting a human, a confidential human source in touch with Barack Obama's people so that they could have a justification for using a counterintelligence spying power against them. I I, I think that there would be, I actually think there'd be riots in the streets. I really do. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be media people doing the rioting, but they would push for that. It would be complete and utter chaos. But we know this now about what Obama's officials did. And we're supposed to what? I mean, do they really think we're going to get past this and believe that it's all okay? They are delusional.
holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. We have the biggest loopholes of any country anywhere in the world. We have the worst immigration laws of any country anywhere in the world. But they exploited the loopholes in our laws to enter the country as unaccompanied alien minors. They look so innocent. They're not innocent. We are praying for these families with us today, and we pledge to honor the memory of those you lost with action and resolve. And I'll just add another word with great success. Immigration, my friends, it is largely the reason for President Trump's improbable, nigh impossible presidential campaign and victory. The president was willing to say things that a lot of us thought but weren't able to or weren't willing to say on immigration. He, ch- he single-handedly changed the debate, changed the discussion. And now we have to look at it and remind ourselves that not enough has been done yet, but it's time for a refocusing on this. And he mentioned, by the way, that unaccompanied minors. Here's a statistic. This is from the House Homeland, uh, Homeland Committee hearing that happened earlier this week that not a lot of people are going to spend much time on, not going to care much about, but here's one for you. 80%, right? You always hear about unaccompanied minors. Oh, they're just children. 80% of illegal aliens arriving at the border as a family who claim asylum don't ever don't ever show up for their immigration hearing. You know what that means? They're just going to stay. 80%. Now, keep in mind, they could show up to the hearing and very well be granted asylum. And given the current laws on the books about El Salvador and uh, and Honduras and just people claiming to be from those countries, right? If you got a family, you got a compelling story, you say you're fleeing violence, absolutely possible that they would get asylum and be given asylum in the process. Uh, but they don't even show up. You know why? There's a 100% chance in their minds that if they, once they're in the country, if they just stay... They're not going anywhere. And you know what, folks? I'm here to tell you, they're pretty much correct. Maybe it's a 99% chance, but it's not a lose sleep at night chance that they're going to get deported. They're a very, very low deportation priority. This is what we mean by loopholes. You say, oh, Buck, they come to the border, they claim asylum, they have to be led into the country, that's the law. Okay, that part of it's the law. But, you know, there's another part of the law as well that says... Well, once we bring you in, you have to show up in front of an immigration judge and plead your case for asylum. And 80% of them aren't even showing up. It's not even like they show up, don't get asylum, and then decide that they're going to try to stay anyway. They don't even bother. What does that tell you about our immigration laws right now? What does it tell you about the realities of enforcement? Uh, Thomas Homan, who is we've had on the show before, a guy who speaks very plainly on this issue and obviously knows what the heck he's talking about. He's the head of uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE. He's got a pretty cool name. I'm the head of ICE. Uh, But he got into a little back and forth here with House Democrat Nanette Berrigan. I'm unfamiliar with her. And here's how that went. Play clip seven. We love to talk about this issue about the MS-13 gangs. 
We love to paint immigrants as criminals. That is not the complete facts. And that is very offensive for me to see continuing to happen, is continuing to message this, this anti-immigrant agenda. There are many of lots of good immigrants. And then I hear this rhetoric, more DACA-like people. Guess what? DACA-like people are the people we need in this country. First of all, no one on this panel is anti-immigrant. We're law enforcement officers to enforce the law that you all enacted. So to sit there and say that we're anti-immigrants is wrong. We are enforcing laws. If you think it's okay to enter this country illegally and they shouldn't be arrested, that's just wrong. That The laws clearly state and you enter the country legally is a crime. I've said many times I certainly understand the plight of these people, and I feel bad for some of these people. But I have a job to do. I have to enforce law and uphold the oath I took to enact the laws enacted by you, Congress. I think that's one of the most important exchanges on immigration I've heard in a very long time. Because that's exactly what's going on here. You've got all these members of Congress, all these Democrats, who, by the way, in recent memory, a lot of them had a supermajority. Right? They, they could have passed amnesty back in 2009, 2010. They could have. They didn't. But the laws that Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Border Patrol, are trying to enforce are congressionally mandated. The Congress... How is it that you can have people who will sit in Congress now and cast aspersions on those in the law enforcement community who are doing what they are federally required to do? And then they act like they're bad guys. There's such hypocrisy here. You know, Democrats actually like the status quo. This is what we have to remember. They like a situation where a lot of illegal immigrants remember and they also conflate legal and illegal immigrants which i know a lot of the legal immigrants who listen to this show who write me letters who write me on facebook well not old school letters but you know emails you can write me an old school letter too if you want they are offended by this as they should be all right somebody who walks up to an atm puts his card in types in the numbers and takes money out of his account is different from somebody who shows up in an atm and reaches up and just takes some money and walks off with it, right? They're not both ATM users. Illegal immigration is lawbreaking, and it almost always involves further lawbreaking once the illegal status is in effect. Because if you're going to work, you got fake papers, you got fake social security cards, you, you know, they're not filing taxes. If they did file taxes, of course, a lot of them would get money back from the state, but that's a whole other thing. And then you add into this the notion of, well, are they criminals, MS-13? What's, how do we have this discussion? The left has been lying to the American people for years on this. And you know this from the slogans. We're a nation of immigrants. That's not true. That's just not true. I mean, you know, you, you go back and look actually at uh, U.S. population and demographic information. We've had periods of immigration. We've also had periods of no immigration. And until pretty recently, a vast majority of the country could trace its roots back in this country to about the 18th century. 1700s, folks. So there's no, we're, we're a nation of immigrants. I mean, okay, some of us were, come from colonial, uh, colonial times and settlers. And, you know, I've got Irish, uh, Irish potato famine immigrants in my background, right? I mean, but to say that we're all immigrants is not true. And we're certainly not all illegal immigrants. And it's a different thing. It's a different thing to show up at Ellis Island circa 1900 when it was sink or swim. 
versus get into the country now when you get food stamps, housing allowance. If you have a kid here, now you're the anchor baby. You're tied here forever. No one's ever going to make you leave. They get benefits. You get to live off of, in part, those benefits. I mean, it's a completely different system. There's a theft. A theft that occurs with legal immigration as well. Because taxpayer, you know, you go to the go to the emergency room, dealing with uh, fire and police services. And, you know. and that's why when, when we talk about immigrant criminality, people say, oh, there are less, there are less criminals in the immigrant community than there are in the native-born community. Oh, wait, so they're better than us? Is that what we're saying? Remember, when they say immigrant, they mean illegal immigrant. They mean people that have violated the law to be here. But doing the jobs Americans won't do. Oh, because we're lazy, right? Because they're better, they're harder working than Americans are. Gosh, I wonder why this country is the most prosperous by far, the most powerful, the freest in the history of the world. Because we're all so lazy, right? But they've been pushing this propaganda for a long time, and it, it got to the point where it's almost unquestioned, certainly unquestioned by the media. And now they've even changed the language. Oh, they're undocumented, which is a nonsense term, as I've told you. I refuse to use this. I only use it to mock it. Oh, they're documented, all right. They just don't have the documents that say they can be here legally. And it's just, it's preposterous, right? Undocumented immigrants. No, they're illegal. They're in violation of the law. And members of Congress like to stand around and pass judgment on our law enforcement community for actually trying to enforce Congress's laws. You know, imagine, you can't think of this with any other issue, right? Imagine members of Congress looking down on people like, how, how dare you, uh, you know, law enforcement officers seize drugs coming into this country? Don't you realize that the, the drug war is a failure and you shouldn't be doing this? It's terrible what you're doing. You're ruining lives. Well, Congress, change the friggin' laws. How about that? But they won't. They'd rather sit around and, and talk about how uh, we're a nation of immigrants and immigrants do the jobs we want to do. I mean, this stuff has just been repeated and repeated and repeated. An echo chamber of pro-illegal immigration. They say it's not open borders. I mean, it's pretty close to it, I have to say. But on the notion of criminality, you know, they'll say, oh, you're, you're painting all immigrants as bad. First of all, that's clearly not true because we're focusing only on illegal immigration. We talk about the problems of MS-13. But also, the criminal population, the violent criminal acts that we should be suffering in this country from illegal immigration is actually zero. It's not that, oh, it's only 5% of illegal immigrants are committing crimes or 50%. I don't know what the number is. I don't really care. It should be zero because they shouldn't be here in the first place to community crimes. This is what the media and the Democrat Congress don't get. So they don't understand. It's not, oh, well, only a few people are killed in you know, car accidents with, drunk, with a drunk driving illegal who doesn't have a license, doesn't have insurance, and it's like his 15th drunk driving stop, but, you know, comes from a sanctuary city. No, should never be here in the first place or should have been deported after the first time and should have been told, hey, if you come back after you've been deported, you're going to you're, you're going to do a 10 year stretch. Real prison, long time. You don't want to do that. Trump is focusing in on this one. I, I want to talk to you more about the, the problem of MS-13 here in a moment and, and just also how they, they really. uh <laughs> They really didn't want to cover Trump's speech on this today. I think there might be enough self-reflection and savvy in the media. I think that they understand um, that immigration is actually, on a national level, 
a winning issue for Republicans when people find out what Democrats really stand for on this. That's why there's a, there's this dishonesty with the coverage of it and why they don't want too much attention paid to Trump when he talks about MS-13 and, and all the rest. But we'll, we'll get into more of this in a moment. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. Oh, we got lines lit in the in the Freedom Hut here. Let's get to it. John in Live Oaks, Florida. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for calling in. Yeah, just had a question for you. You know, we just had this huge budget that Trump hated, but he had to get passed. And part of that was a large chunk of funding for the military. Mm-hmm. Now, with his immigration policy and with national defense, he's legally allowed to allocate whatever funds he needs to allow the military or the National Guard to go ahead and build the entire wall. I mean, he received more than enough funding to cover that, and if they went with the National Guard, they wouldn't have the issue of a conflict of interest of having troops deployed on American soil. But my question is, why wouldn't he go ahead and allocate those funds and let the military just go ahead and build the wall as is? It's a very good question. And if you recall, uh, President Trump himself a while back on Twitter said, build the wall through the M, which everyone took to mean the military. So he's raised it. I know that Secretary of Defense Mattis has reportedly talked to the president about it. Uh, here's, as I understand it, how it, how it comes down. Um, yeah, you had this very large uh, omnibus bill that dealt with budgetary matters that just happened. Trump signed it. A lot of money for the military. He only got $1.7 billion, I think, for the wall, mostly bolstering old wall parts. He wants $25 billion for the wall. And you could certainly squeeze a few billion out of the Pentagon budget somewhere if you really tried hard. Uh, there are people, though, and we're going to get into the how crazy the judiciary can be. There are people who would say that before Trump could reallocate any of that DOD funding to something different, he would have to get congressional approval. I, I don't know if that's, you know, who would win. I mean, you start to get into, well, what if the, if the president says do it, who's going to tell him not to? Um but they'll say you need congressional approval for the reappropriation of those funds in order to, to spend them differently. Um, that's the, and then you'd also have probably some, and I don't know how they would do it, but judicial challenges to it. You know, and all you need is one federal judge somewhere to say, oh, can't do it, and the president might have his hands tied on it. Um, but I think, John, that there's a serious, I mean, I think that's what you're asking. There's a serious case we made. The president could just have the military do it. Maybe his thinking is push the issue, push the issue, and then see what happens in the midterms. Because, you, you know, he's still going to be the president, even if Democrats gain some in the House, right? And maybe in the Senate, too. Uh, so he would be in a position then to just order it and set up quite a fight with the Congress. I don't know what his strategy is on this. I know there are people who say that he could, as commander-in-chief, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers certainly up to the task. They could do it. Not, it's not yeah. unusual to have military, National Guard at the border helping with border tasks. 
last three presidents, I think, have all ordered some contingent, the National Guard down there. And it's clearly a national security issue, uh, which, you know, I think this is maybe why some folks don't really understand why he could do. But I think he could. Well, also, I mean, he could use some of that funding even just for enforcing larger patrols and just a larger presence. I mean, even them seeing more activity on the border would discourage even more people from attempting to get across. I think that's I think that's probably true. There might be a, there might be some hesitation though to have the military doing what border patrol, you know, to, to really be the front line the way border patrol is of enforcing that uh enforcing law that way. Uh, I could see why people would be Let's just say there would have to be a uh, a change in perception there as to what the National Guard, what the military, because the National Guard provides support, but doesn't tend to be actually chasing the drug smugglers and and trying to stop the coyotes from smuggling people across. But John, it's a very interesting question. You know, maybe we'll see if uh, I'll reach out to one of my favorite constitutional experts and just get a real uh, deep look into what would happen if the president just said, you know what, let's get our military to do it and gave the order. I think well, I think that wall is going to start. I mean, we got to roll, my friend. I apologies for uh, cutting you off, but we got to roll okay. the next hour here. But thank, thank you, Shield Side, for calling in. Um, yeah, speaking of that, we'll we'll get into this some more, and uh, got a jam packed hour two coming up. Our sponsor this half hour is Nine Line Apparel. You know about them, right? I mean, these guys are amazing. Nine Line Apparel is a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand. Just go on the site and check it out for yourself. By the way, you can join the Patriots Club where you get exclusive new designs sent to you each month. And so you can kind of first dibs on getting the latest and greatest gear from Nine Line Apparel. They have different lines like Relentlessly Patriotic, Veteran Inspired, a Second Amendment line, First Responders lines. You are going to love not just the designs, but also the quality of the apparel that they sell. Go check it out for yourself. Visit NineLineApparel.com. Use the coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off. That's NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20. Support a bunch of former door kickers and veterans who are building a great company. Support the Freedom Hunt and get some great gear. NineLineApparel.com. Coupon code BUCK20. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Team, welcome to hour two of the Buck Sexton Show. I have a lot to talk to you about. Jared Kushner's clearance. Got a final dispensation on that one. Plus, the judge who says Trump can't block people on Twitter because the First Amendment. Oh, it's the First Amendment. Sure. Federal judges. Oh, the never Trump judiciary. They will never learn. But before I get to all that, we have somebody who uh, I want to bring into the mix here. One of our callers, Mac from Texas. And uh, Mac is former military. In case you missed it, folks, we were talking before. In the last hour about whether the president could theoretically, whether Trump could just say, hey, military, Army Corps engineers, National Guard, start building a wall. Just go for it. I'm the commander in chief. Uh, I've seen various analyses of this that all come up with kind of different conclusions. But Mac has some expertise here he wants to share. Mac, welcome to Freedom Hut, sir. Thanks for calling in. 
Thank you. I, I love the Freedom Hut. Uh, All right. Appreciate it. Okay. So tell us what's going on here. The, I just want to. I just want to say, uh, your last caller, he, he he has a great idea, but there are a couple of stumbling blocks which are rather major. One of them is a law called Posse Comitatus, which prevents the uh, military being used domestically. Now, National Guard can uh, do that, but then that has to be under state control. As soon as they get to be nationalized, then Posse Comitatus begins to uh, raise its ugly head. Uh, so you can't do it that way. Then, then there's also the issue that there is a law in the books uh, that, and I'll give you an example of how I know this, uh, there's a law in the books that says that the federal entities cannot compete with private entities. That is to say, if, let's say, the Navy CBs were to start building that wall, uh, there would be a construction company that could say, no, 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 you guys can't do that. We can do that. This has to be let for bid, take it to federal court, get an injunction, and that's how that would end up. The reason I know this is the CBs in California back uh, before you were born uh, were trying to build a nice camp for the Boy Scouts, uh, sort of as practice on a national park. Uh, it was going to be a, a set of uh, campground uh, facilities, but mostly to be used by the Boy Scouts. And uh, they, there was an injunction filed against them, which prevented them from doing that. Now, the CBs were going to do this for free, not charge the Boy Scouts. So guess what happened? It never got built. Hmm. So that's very interesting, Mac. Tell, tell me this. What do, you, what do you think, if you wouldn't mind helping us war game this out a little bit, if President Trump woke up tomorrow, you know, just pushed pushed aside the the Big Mac containers that we're told are constantly around him, and and you know the pajamas and all this stuff, right? Somehow he's able to run the country incredibly well despite all just watching TV as as they report it. But if President Trump woke up tomorrow and he said, "All right, I as Commander in Chief am issuing an executive order for the military, or just an order for the military to go start building a section of wall in Texas, you know, let's say Laredo sector of the border, whatever," what happens then? Then it would end up in federal court, uh, and there would be an injunction. Yeah, that's what uh, I figured. I would, uh, I, the, the, the courts would get involved. What he could do. Here's what he could do. Very simple solution to all of this. Under the National Defense Highway Authorization Act, he could dedicate uh, funding under the Department of Transportation to a, quote, frontier highway, which could be an elevated highway 14 feet off the ground, running from San Diego to Brownsville, Texas. Huh. Is this your own idea, now, or have you seen this elsewhere? Because that's kind of interesting. No, no, it's completely my idea, but I did do some research on, on it. Uh, there is nothing in the Transport National Defense Transportation Authorization Act that prevents him from doing that. Nothing other than surveying. you got to get the survey work done. Wow. Trump could build a 14-foot-tall, quote, highway <laughs> that's an interesting right. all right well i know so i'm down here in the swamp i know some people maybe we'll try to get this one on his desk somehow it's very by the way mac just as a, as a fun aside can you imagine how how freaked out and crazy liberals would get if that was actually what they ended up doing here if trump's I like know. we're gonna build a 14 foot ha- highway i'm a builder we people want a view you know whatever it'd be amazing <laughs> it would be it'd be great all right well mac very interesting insight my friend shield sign thank you so much for calling in i appreciate it I see Max thinking outside the box on that one. I like it. I like it. We'll take one more call before we move into the next topic. We got uh, Olivier from Lansdowne, Virginia online. Hey, Olivier. Hey, how are you, Buck? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much for calling in. 
My pleasure. It's an honor. By the way, first of all, before I, I start my, my conversation with you, um, you've got a great staff. You know, Mike's doing a great job as an executive producer. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, I, heard, I heard about the show through uh, Porter and Jameson. I'm a, oh, uh, an alliance yeah. member for, uh, for, for Stansbury. So that's, that's how I got in, introduced to, uh, to your great show and the way you think. And I realized that uh, great minds think alike. So I appreciate it. And by the way, uh, I'll be in D.C. tomorrow. I'm, uh, so lunch is on me if you're available. But um, okay, what I wanted, what I wanted to, to talk to you about is, uh, and I will be calling going forward because I really appreciate uh, your, your intellect and the way you think. I, I'm wondering, in order to win elections, you have to give a lot of kudos to the, the Democrats that basically will do everything they can in order to influence the inability of the electorate to think. So therefore, they will feed them anything they want to they wanna eat and, uh, and drink to be able to get their votes, uh, including illegal, illegal immigration and, and making those that want to abide by the law uh, as being racist and so forth. But ultimately, at what point do you think that the GOP starts to think that it may be a good idea for them to start to support the president so they can win the election in November and as well as in the primary so they can keep their jobs? So at what point do you think that they come to the rescue of victory? Right. At, at what point does like the Paul Ryan, the Paul Ryan wing of the GOP yeah. decide to get serious and actually dig in on on Trump's side of this? Because Olivia, it's a great the alternative. What's the alternative for them? I, I, well, I think that point? some of them, I, I, this is going to get a little crazy, but I think that some of them are hoping for divided government because they'd prefer to just be able to fundraise. I think there are members of the House right now, or let's just mm-hmm. say members of the Congress right now, who, who would prefer a divided government scenario where Democrats have at least one part of the Congress in the majority, and then they can just talk a big game about how, oh, we'd repeal Obamacare, oh, we would do immigration, uh, you know, immigration enforcement, all these things. But they don't want to actually be in a position where they have to vote on them because the donor class is separate from the voter class for a lot of these elected officials, right? The people that are writing them the checks, the people that are keeping them in office are different from those that they're, they're pandering to, as you pointed out, Democrats are very good at pandering. I don't know if they're going to make that switch. I think there's still a lot of fence sitters on the Republican side for going all in on the Trump agenda. And, you know, they've realized along the way that it is, it is dangerous for them to speak out against Trump. It's dangerous for their political careers, but I don't think that they are on board necessarily yet. And Olivia, thank you for calling. And by the way, he learned about me. Uh, Olivia learned about the show from the podcast I do for Stansberry Research, which you can all check out. It's called the Investor Hour. A lot of fun. talk. I've been learning so much. It's actually great for me to uh, be in a position to just be learning from some really, really smart people in the finance world. I do it once a week. We have a really good time. You can check it out. Those of you who are uh, into uh, how to manage your money and stuff. I'm learning. I'm kind of there just as a host who's asking questions and and hanging out with the guys. I am not a finance expert at all. Uh, But I've gotten a lot more knowledge over the last year or so. So you can check that out. uh, Check that out, too. And that's where Olivier learned about this show, which makes me very happy. So um, where was I in all this stuff? Oh, yes. Why don't we do a few things? First of all, uh, you have a federal judge who you you really can't make this stuff up, folks. A federal judge who has decided that it is a violation of the First Amendment to the Constitution for Trump to block people on Twitter. Now, on the one hand, this is 
uh, a a stupid case, right? On the one hand, th- this should never have been granted standing. This should, you know, this should never have uh, been taken seriously. Um, but Naomi Rice Buchwald is the district court judge, and and this is part of what she said in her opinion today. This case requires us to consider whether a public official may, consistent with the First Amendment, block, it's in quotes, a person from his Twitter account in response to the political view that the person has expressed and whether the analysis differs because that public official is the president of the United States. The answer to both questions is no. So I need someone to explain this to me. Now you've got a federal judge who's saying, that you have no right to curate what you are seeing on Twitter. Because, by the way, it's not that you can't see Trump's tweets. Everybody sees Trump's tweets. It's just if you block someone, you are in a position where you don't have to see their responses to you. They can't harass you. They can't keep tweeting at you and tweeting at you, and it gets in your feed. And I'm sure Trump has... The biggest psychopaths on the planet tweeting at him on a regular basis. And and I mean, like, you know, probably tweeting at him you know, a thousand times a day. I mean, just madness. So some of them he blocks. You know, some of them he doesn't want to hear from. Does the president have to take everyone's phone call? Does the president have to read everyone, every, every email that's sent to the White House? I mean, I'm, I'm wondering where, where this stops and starts. What are the outer limits to this? Uh, uh, just a, an embarrassing decision. For the federal judiciary, this is a federal judge, folks. This is not some third-string MSNBC host that's come out with this. I mean, this is somebody who actually has some power. It's not going to change anything, right? But in a sense, it might change. I mean, this won't change anything important right now, this decision, whether Trump can block people or not. But what I see happening here is just the reflexive, if it hurts Trump, I'm for it, in the federal judiciary. And that's troubling. That's serious. That's not something we can just brush aside and ignore. That's something that we have to pay attention to. You know, what I see here is a, yet another federal judge suffering from a, a Trump derangement syndrome that has brought her to wade on this. And, and, and how could she even defend this? Because, I mean, look, I know it's kind of it's silly and I kind of want to laugh about it too, but Okay, so now does the president have to, is he not allowed to block spam porn accounts? You know, that, that keep tweeting at him and tweeting at him? Is he, he's not allowed to block, uh, you know, Hamas from, like, threatening him from overseas? I mean, you know, you start to wonder, why can't the president block people on Twitter? He's a person. He's not allowed to do this? I don't, I don't understand. He's doing it as a, as a person. I mean, it's just... People say, oh, you, 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 are, you have to be entitled to see what the president is writing? Or you have, to ha- you have to be entitled to what? Have the president see what you've written to him on Twitter? It just doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. It really doesn't. But it, it does fall right in line with what we already know, which is that the never-Trump judiciary is completely crazy, and they rule based on how much they hate this president, not what the law is. And that's, you want to talk about harming our institutions. Very damaging to one of the last places we all look for some redress when the government steps out of line or when all other kind of hope is lost, right? You hope the judges, the, the judiciary will 
be a, a bulwark against tyranny. What we see is actually judiciary acting in tyrannical fashion. That's what we keep seeing happening. And uh, I, I find it very troubling. I mean, the the decision about, and you know, I know the Supreme Court's going to be weighing in on this one, but the decision about uh, the Trump travel ban, remember, they've created this new, because of the Ninth Circuit, Ninth Circuit Federal Court, they've created this new standard where, well, whether or not the president can do this, we know that he's racist because he said stuff we don't like. So this law, therefore, is racist because of things that we say is racist that he said on the campaign trail. How is that for legal analysis? I mean, this is this is completely nuts. But this is what you're getting from federal judges. It's what they're doing time and time again. Yeah, man. Uh, let's quickly talk about Kushner's clearance and then some spy Spygate stuff. I like that we're calling it Spygate, by the way. We've needed a catchier thing to say other than, you know, Russia collusion, blah, 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 blah. You know, we've needed something a little more punchy. You know, Russiagate doesn't really work, right? Sounds like a housing development somewhere or something. I don't know. It doesn't really. Spygate, I can sink my teeth into that one. I like that. So we'll talk Spygate, Russiagate. Um, look what I just did. Spygate, Kushner's clearance, and... Uh, a whole bunch of other things. Oh, third hour we'll get into. By the way, just give you something to look forward to and stick around for. Uh, what, what was I going to say? Oh, yes, the NFL and the kneeling. Po- There's a new kneeling policy with the NFL. If you kneel, well, I don't want to give it away, but we'll discuss that. And then also, who wins in the intersectional battle? A Muslim woman who does not want to wax a transgender male's special area or a transgender male who's suing a Muslim woman who refuses to wax that area. It's a real court case, folks. We're going to have to roll up our sleeves and discuss it. We'll be right back. Our sponsor this half hour is Global Verification Network. If you are an employer, if you're a property manager, or if you're a financial company, if you want to make sure you have the best information possible for background checks, tenant screening, vetting, and investigative services, you've got to go check out my guys at Global Verification Network. This is a dual certified, it's in fact the only dual certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They are headquartered in Chicago. Their risk mitigation experts are all based here in the States. Your data is never offshored. Your cases are never offshored. Background checks, tenant screening, vetting, and investigative services. Global verification is simply best in the business. Go to mygvn.com. That's my gvn.com or call 877-695-1179 877-695-1179 Global Verification Network Give me a favor, uh, Brandon. Play. Well, let's talk Spygate for a second here. Play, play 11 and then 12 back to back. Just go for this it. This is uh, hyperbole. Uh, they may have had someone uh, uh, who was talking to them uh, in, uh, uh, in the campaign. But, you know, the focus here, and as it was with the intelligence community, is not on the campaign per se, but what the Russians were doing to try to, to instantiate themselves in the campaign or to influence or leverage it. So if there was someone that was observing that sort of thing, uh, that's a good thing. So the Department of Justice and the FBI had before them credible information 
that there was Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. And as a consequence, uh, they engaged in certain activities that had they not done so, could have only been characterized as a dereliction of duties. It is a violation of federal law for an American to knowingly conspire or coordinate with a representative or an agent on behalf of a foreign government to interfere in our election. The Department of Justice was doing their job. You should be grateful. I am grateful. The American people are grateful. Okay, so there, there you have the former director of national intelligence and, and a current Democrat congressman basically saying the spying was good. The spying was a good thing. But they can't get on the same sheet of music right now, meaning that the anti-Trump left, they, they can't seem to figure out, well, are we all going to say that? Or are we also going to pretend that he wasn't a spy? I've seen a lot of bigwigs in the media. Oh, it's not a spy. It's just a person providing confidential information to a U.S. government agency who's approaching others under false pretenses for the purposes of an investigation. Yeah, that's a spy actually, or a confidential informant, which is just law enforcement speak for a spy. It is spying, right? Uh, it's pretty amazing to see this. Uh, but the Washington Post has a piece here. This, is, this just went out. Analysis. There is no evidence for Spygate. That's the Washington Post. That's their news analysis. I'm just reading the headline. There is no evidence for Spygate, but there is a reason that Trump invented it. So which is it? We just heard from the director of national intelligence. We heard from a congressman saying the spying was good. But the Washington Post and others are saying there was no spying. Oh, so someone can't be correct here. Something's going on. The generally pathetic quality of spygate rebuttals that you are seeing right now in the media. Pay attention to it, folks. It's very revealing. They don't even know how to create a unified front against this revelation against this bombshell and that's why there's all this discontinuity discom discombobulation with the way that they're responding to it because uh well what are they going to find out next and what's going to happen next they don't know so that's why we're getting all these different versions pay close attention to that we'll have more and uh oh, oh yeah i just got a couple quick things to say about kushner's clearance that i think are worth your time we'll, we'll hit that right after He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. By the way, if you get a chance, I'll be on Fox News tonight, team, around 11 p.m. Eastern with the uh, the wonderful and formidable Shannon Bream and uh, Molly Hemingway from The Federalist. Uh, speaking of The Federalist, we'll also have uh, Sean Davis joining us here in just a few minutes. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of buck in The Federalist today, um, but uh, Molly's doing great work on Spygate and the whole Russia collusion debacle, and uh, and Shannon is is just just great. I mean, she's a great broadcaster and a great great lady. So uh, I'll be on Fox during the 11 p.m. Eastern hour. I'm not sure exactly when, but if you get the chance, please do uh, please do check it out and tune in. Um, so what did? Oh yes, Kushner. Now this isn't a big thing. It's not a big thing, but I, I just wanted to note that when uh, Jared Kushner, who's President Trump's senior advisor and son-in-law. And I've, I've told you how I feel about the whole family as the senior advisor. But look, didn't, uh, people always forget this, didn't JFK make, uh, make Robert his attorney general, right? Am I missing something? 
So it's not like it's the first time that kind of stuff happens. But I, you know, I, I tend to, you know, how I feel about that. All right, fair enough. But when Jared had, and this was a leak from the White House, had some kind of issue with his security clearance, they used that to immediately make it about how he must be shady. That was the that was the insinuation across the board in the media. There must be something in his background. He's dirty. Russian money. Something must be going on there. And they ran all these stories. And to borrow from the, the, the great man himself, uh, Mr. Rush Limbaugh, who's also on Premier Networks, as you know, before, before yours truly gets his shot at the microphone, uh, this is one of those great drive-by media moments where you can just see it as clear as day. When Kushner's clearance was... Was uh, he was in an interim clearance situation, and then they said no more interim clearances. Oh, he must be dirty. He must be bad. Now he gets a top secret clearance, permanent, totally cleared for it. Seeing a lot of like CNN and MSNBC and others that are spending time on that. Now I understand it's a small issue, right? You're like, fuck, why do you care about Kushner's clearance? I don't really, but it just goes to show you they are engaged in constant character assassination. They use the possibility of something being wrong or amiss as an excuse to run a lot of stories to create the perception that something must be wrong or amiss, right? I mean, if you read 100 stories that say, oh, you know, this guy, he he might go to prison next week. He might. And then next week, it's one story that's like, oh, yeah, no, there were no charges, actually. They had the wrong guy. That's pretty bad for that guy, right? That, that doesn't help. But this is what they do all the time. And they are engaged in this once again. Uh, speaking about getting sent to prison, it's kind of a rough transition, but let's go with it, team, right? Let's go with it. Uh, former CIA uh, officer John uh, Kiriakou was on, uh, he was on Tucker Carlson's show last night. And I know a bit about Kiriakou's case, and I, I do know a few things. Now, I didn't have a chance to deep dive into the actual uh, court transcript today. The Scooter Libby case, I know backwards and forwards, right? So that's one where you had a pardon and you had the whole CIA involvement or, you know, the CIA angle with the Scooter Libby thing. I know that case backwards and forwards. I know it better than journalists who tried to bring it to yours truly and tell me what was going on there. So there's that. Uh, Kiriakou's case, I don't know quite as well, but I do remember reading that he was facing a 30-year espionage charge, which... Even people who commit espionage generally don't face that. That that's what they were throwing at him at one point. And I also recall that, that the initial investigation of Kiriakou's activities led to a, um, I think they offered him no, if he pled to something kind of minor, no jail time. But then something changed, something happened. And uh, I'll call him John now. John was on Tucker's show last night, and uh, this is what he had to say about what changed. Play clip two. I know Robert Mueller, and I know John Brennan, and this is what they do. They set out to ruin people. You know, we, we look at these indictments in this so-called Russiagate, Russiagate that has nothing whatsoever to do with Russia, by the way, uh, and, and none of these indictments have anything to do with anything. They're what are called throwaway indictments. So what you have is a man, Robert Mueller, who chooses a person and then looks for a crime to hang on the person, rather than discovering a crime and then investigating to see who committed the crime. He's very, very much astute there, very correct in that in what is going on. And by the way, he got sent away for two or three years, got a wife, got five kids. Um, you know, 
it was it was rough. Uh, they they really you know went after him hard, and it was the Obama administration. And what he said earlier in the interview, we don't have the audio for you, was that he was initially cleared. You know, was he was he maybe being a little uh. Should, should he have received a, a, a serious reprimand or warning based on some of what I read in the papers? Uh, the, yeah. I mean, I, I, could see, I could see some of the folks, either DOJ or, you know, some of the lawyers from Langley or whatever, sitting down with them saying, hey, man, some of this stuff you got to watch it a little more with. I get it. But three years federal, I think uh, maybe it was two and a half or something like that. Between two and three years federal prison? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and he says it's because... There was a Kiriakou task force at the FBI led by, who wants to guess, Mueller. And that Brennan, who Kiriakou knew and worked with at the agency, decided to destroy him. And he claimed last night on the interview, and I, we don't have this part of it, that Brennan's position on this to, to Mueller was, well, um, and this came, this came out in discovery, you know, charge him with espionage. By the time he can prove himself innocent, he'll be bankrupt. And I'll have to take whatever deal we offer him because he can't pay for his defense anymore, basically. Yeah. That's, so I think this is really important. When you're looking at Mueller and Brennan, they wanted this whole, oh, these decent public servants who all they want to do is protect America. These people have done, have done others dirty, so to speak. That's, you know, have, they have jammed folks up, as we would say in the NYPD. They've jammed them hard. And they have no problem with that. And you start looking back at some of the most in my opinion, egregious politicized prosecutions in recent memory, and look whose fingerprints are on them. Comey, Mueller, Fitzgerald. Who did Comey run out to have it be one of his, uh, be his lawyer with all the stuff going, oh, that's right, Patrick Fitzgerald. Who did Comey appoint to go get Scooter Libby? Patrick Fitzgerald. Who went after Conrad Black on something that the Supreme Court had to say that's actually not really a crime even? Patrick Fitzgerald. Who went after Martha Stewart on a non-crime that she lied about because she was scared and the FBI agents went to get her? Comey. I mean, you know, you go down this line, you go, hold on a second. A lot of, a lot of shady prosecutorial decisions made by just this group of folks that we're talking about that happened to be very much involved in the Russia collusion thing. And, I, and these are just off the top of my head. I mean, I'm sure if I dug deeper into some of these cases... You know, appalling prosecutorial overreach. But, you know, for Brennan, very interesting. And I, I just want to I'll finish on this before we move on to our friend Sean Davis from The Federalist. For Brennan to want to take a former, former agency guy and really just put him on the rack, that's, that's rough. That's grotesque. There's just no, there's just, there was no honor in what Brennan did. He's a hack and he's a coward. And I think he's going to get what's coming to him with these revelations. I really do. I think that he's going to have to answer for some of this stuff. All right. Sean Davis is up next. Stay with me. Okay, team. So a lot of stuff going on with the Russia collusion debacle and the deep state's efforts to hide information, to lie about what's on the record, to prevent more stuff from getting on the record. Uh, they're, they're losing ground. That much is for sure. I don't know if it's a, an all-out stampede just yet, but if our next guest has his way, it might be any day now. We got Sean Davis with us, co-founder of The Federalist, a very, very fantastic website. Go to thefederalist.com for his latest and all the other writers there. Mr. Davis, good to have you, sir. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. 
All right. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? We could do a top 10 list of ways that things aren't looking so great for the uh, Russia collusion crowd. But what's what's your biggest takeaway from this whole spy implanted in the Trump campaign thing? Other than, of course, the media seems to think that he's not a spy. Oh, that's so cute. Well, I, I think it's interesting that we went from there were no wiretaps to, yeah, there were wiretaps, but it was fine. And that was the only spying to wait. There was lots of other spying, but that was fine, too, to know there were no spies personally looking after trying to set up the campaign to finally this past week. OK, yes, it turns out all of that was true, but it's OK. So shut up. I mean, the goalposts could not move any faster than the left. And there uh, many of their never Trump enablers on the right are moving. Yeah, it seems to me like every time we hear now a very vehement objection to, oh, well, could th- could you guys have been doing this thing at FBI and DOJ? Whenever there's a, oh, no, of course not. We got to think, well, you're saying that now. But based on Clapper, Comey, McCabe, Strzok, I'm a, I'm a big one for Yates we're going to find is, is playing a much bigger role behind all this stuff. But that's just me. But that's one of the ones that I've been saying for a while. Uh, it, it feels like we can't we can't take their word for it, despite Comey tweeting out about how you can't take anyone else's word for it. Oh, I know. Well, it's fascinating watching James Comey because this is the man who told Trump he wasn't being investigated at all, which was true, but then refused to make that public. It's a guy who... Um, after he got fired, <clears throat> leaked FBI documents, including confident, confidential classified information we now know, and then lied about it. This is a guy who went out and got rich selling a book. It's a guy who went on TV show after TV show and eventually just got excoriated by Brett Baer, lied to him a whole bunch about uh, you know the classified leaks and, and what he told Congress and what his deputies told Congress about uh, interviews with Mike Flynn. Uh, basically, I've gotten to the point where whenever Jim Comey pops his head up, um, I take it as a sign of pretty extreme panic uh, from him and his fellow travelers because the wheels are coming off this bus. We know what they were doing. Uh, we know they were lying about it, and I think they know that the jig is up. So they're hoping that they can just circle the wagons and make it, a go, make it all go away. And uh, I hate to break it to them. They're wrong. You can't put this toothpaste back in the tube. Where do you think that uh, they're going to go now, or, or where do you think this is all going now that there's been this meeting? And, and my understanding is there'll be a review with Trump and a bunch of other officials, FBI, DOJ, where they're going to start looking at what was really in the FISA warrants, what was really in the investigation of these Trump-related figures. Oh Well, look, so we got a lot of stuff cooking right now. We have... Chuck Grassley, who chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, who um, last Friday sent a very lengthy letter to Rod Rosenstein calling shenanigans on the whole special counsel appointment. Um, it, it looks like Rosenstein has been doing a lot of stuff he wasn't telling anyone about under uh, using very specious legal reasoning. So you've got Grassley. You've got Ron Johnson over at the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee digging into so many of these texts and emails from these corrupt FBI agents. You have Devin Nunes on the House side at the Intel Committee doing his just remarkable investigative work there uh, in the face of monumental obstruction from DOJ. And then you have uh, Sessions, Huber, and Trump kind of running their own track. You know, Sessions has put in this guy, um, uh, this U.S. attorney, to look into accusations. The DOJ inspector general 
is looking into this stuff. He's got a report coming out. I mean, the the Comey leaking, spying, and lying brigade is surrounded on all sides. I I don't I don't see how they're going to escape. But my goodness, they're certainly trying to trying to pull it off. And can you tell me about your piece here, where you have emails show? And we're speaking to Sean Davis, everybody. TheFederalist.com is the website. Emails show FBI brass discuss dossier briefing details with CNN. Yeah, it's fascinating. So uh, we we got to look at some emails, and they're they're related to this big January tenth, twenty seventeen story from CNN, which started the whole Russia hysteria. And it started it by saying, "Hey, these allegations, which we now know were the Steele dossier, were so serious that the intel chiefs had to brief Trump and Obama on it. Somehow that leaked. Somehow a meeting just between Comey and Trump, just the two men. Somehow that leaked out. Well, how did that happen?" Well, we now have these emails showing that Andrew McCabe was very intimately aware of what CNN knew and how and, and when they knew it in between that briefing on January 6th and CNN's story on January 10th. In fact, he emailed a bunch of FBI top brass, including James Comey, with the subject, flood is coming, and saying, hey, CNN got the trigger it wanted. It's got the dossier. It knows the briefing. And then an hour later, he emailed Sally Yates and her deputy with the subject line news and said, hey, looks like it's coming out. CNN has uh, the briefing and the dossier. Um, If that guy wasn't the leaker or one of the leakers, uh, I'll eat my hat. Seems to me like there's also just a series of connections between senior Obama appointees involved in both the email investigation of Hillary Clinton, the Russia collusion probe of Donald Trump, and and these folks have very cozy relationships, specifically at CNN. Well, that's because CNN itself has several senior Obama officials working there. Um, It's got Jim Schuto, who is an Obama State Department appointee. It's got James Clapper, uh, one of the leakers, uh, who the House Intel Committee found out that he leaked to CNN. They gave him a sweet gig over there. And now they have Jim Comey's FBI spokesman on the payroll over there. So it's difficult for me to see where uh, the the FBI under James Comey ends and where CNN begins. And once you make those connections, you begin to understand why CNN has been so ridiculous, uh, delusional, and over the top in its Russia coverage. And it's because they completely bought into it. They drove it. They were not disinterested observers. They were active participants in it. And if this whole house of cards comes tumbling down, it's going to take CNN down with it. So they're in the same mode as Comey and all the rest. Yeah, because I'd also note that Clapper never says anything interesting or insightful on television, period. I've literally never heard him say something like, oh, wow, that was actually, and also is bad at TV. So the, and it could do any number of things other than go to CNN, by the way. But it's like he lives, it's like he lives over there these days. He's on all the time. Well, I feel like James Clapper, he gives hope to a lot of people. He is a walking, talking example that dishonesty and imbecility are no barrier to success in federal government. So hats off to you, Mr. Clapper. I tell people all the time, D.C., man, it's where unbelievable ambition meets relentless mediocrity. Uh, all right, Sean, we got to leave it there for now, my friend. But come back next time. You've got a, a a haymaker to land on the deep state for us. Sean Davis, everybody, everybody, co-founder of thefederalist.com. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. 
Hour three coming up, team. We have, for your listening enjoyment, a discussion of the NFL's new policy on kneeling. Social justice warriors aren't going to like it. Uh, Also, a crazy story about how intersectionality on the left just falls into contradictions and nonsense. And we'll talk about how some people were mean to my friend Tommy, and it really ticks me off. That and more coming up in Hour 3. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show team. The NFL, something that a lot of you know a lot more about than I do. I tend not to get too into the sports commentary because I don't know that much about sports. I've played some sports. As I've told you, because of my enormous head, I couldn't play any helmet sports which I wish I had diagnosed this when I was younger because this is what I think about this. There's a reason why basketball, tennis, soccer, these are the sports that I played instead of football, hockey, you know, lacrosse. Uh, And it's because I didn't want to get headaches as a kid. But anyway, there's, there's the political stuff that the NFL gets into sometimes. And if you flip on ESPN, you wouldn't, uh, you know, it wouldn't be weird for you to think that ESPN is basically a political commentary network that also happens to do sports, or as it has been called by some others, MSNBC with sports, which is what it is now. A lot of social justice talk. Occasionally ESPN, you'll get the gun control stuff. So professional sports is now somewhat uh, full of political commentary in every respect, all the time, all over the place, right? I mean, meaning that the coverage of it, the political or the uh, sports journalists looking at all this stuff. But the kneeling controversy last year, that got a lot of attention. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, the kneeling thing. What are they doing? Why are they kneeling? And, you know, I was somebody who uh, I I remember thinking that that guy who came out on the Pittsburgh Steelers, producer Mike, what was his name? I'm forgetting his name right now. But he came out, and I was like, look at that guy. He came out during the anthem. And then there was this whole thing of he walked it back and, Others would have gone out with him, and was he grandstanding, or was he being a patriot? I'm like, oh, even this is turning into a mess. But the whole kneeling situation is a, has turned very sensitive, all started by Kaepernick, who was pretty much on the way out anyway, not a great player, had his day, and now has turned into something of a social, uh, social justice folk hero because of how into the different issues of the day, particularly police violence. Now, this is also a guy who wore pig so- like socks that have pigs on them with police hats. So, you know, he's not always a constructive force at all. We can say that. I mean, I think that the guy's a prima donna and he's full of it. But, you know, I mean, people are allowed to have their dumb opinions, obviously. It's America. But you're not allowed to have your dumb opinions necessarily in the office. Right? If, if I were to walk around and say certain things publicly in the office, if I were to make a stand at the companies where I work, management, my bosses, would have the option of uh, telling me to stop or even telling me I got to go. Alejandro Villanueva was the guy's name who came out of the tunnel at the Pittsburgh Steelers game and stood for the anthem with his hand over his heart. Now, he had also been in Afghanistan. He'd served in the armed forces. So it you know, had a real resonance. But later on, he backed down a little bit and said, oh, well, you know, I... I didn't want to leave my team behind. I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. His jersey, the next day but, he backed down. Yeah, the next day. Uh, and, and his jersey became the number one selling NFL jersey. 
And I don't think anybody knew who this guy was until he did this. So I think he missed a, a big moment there in a lot of ways. But now the NFL has a policy in place to deal with the whole kneeling controversy, as you know. This is from uh, Fox News Today. NFL owners requiring players to stand for the Star Spangled Banner if they're on the field when the anthem is played uh, or else there'll be a fine. Okay, so that the team will get fined if an NFL player is out on the field and does not stand for the anthem. And people are making such a big deal out of this. Now, there's, whenever you talk about a First Amendment issue, you've got to always separate out there's what is permissible versus what is advisable, right? There's what is legal and what is wise. And they're not the same thing. So people who say, you should be able to say whatever you want. Well, no. I mean, if you walked into your boss's office and said, hey, boss, you're worse than Lumberg from Office Space. I think you're terrible at your job and your breath smells like chameleon farts. I think you're going to get fired, right? That's a li- It's likely that you will probably be cashiered from that, from that job. You could not turn around and say, I was just expressing my free speech, right? This is not hard. This is actually not complicated. But people try to conflate these things because they want what they like and what is legal to be the same thing. That's not the case, okay? Yes, a government authority, government body, cannot tell the NFL or any individual player what they can do or not do on the field when it comes to a speech issue. That's just true. But the NFL is a private organization. The NFL is a for-profit. Now, it wasn't for a while, which is crazy, but I think they've dropped that designation. It's a for-profit organization that comes up with its own rules and regulations, and it is allowed to have rules in place to tell people whether they can or cannot make certain political statements. If you can tell people, and again, not complicated, but everyone wants to make it complicated. If you can tell people that they can't do a particular kind of end zone dance, then you can also tell people they have to stand during the anthem or get fined, right? This is uh, the legality of this. You don't have to be a lawyer. It's very straightforward. So what the NFL is doing is 100% legal. People are going to say, oh, look at the collective bargaining agreement. I'm, I'm going to throw a flag on that one, so to speak. I think it is highly unlikely that the NFL would have uh, agreed to anything in the collective bargaining agreement with players that would prevent them from instituting this kind of rule or guideline. Now, certain teams, I see the New York Jets, for example, owned by, I think, Woody Johnson of the Johnson & Johnson fortune. Better to be born rich than have to become rich, folks. Uh, he has said that any player who kneels, the team will take the fine and there will be no action against the player. Because right? it's really left to the teams to engage in the discipline against the player uh, because they're the ones that are going to get hit with the fine. So, of course, they could bench the player. There's all kinds of things that they could do. But now you get into the, is this a good idea? And I would have to say, resoundingly, for reasons of ideology and reasons of commerce yeah this is a good idea the nfl was losing ratings and ratings equal money the money that pays these athletes their incredibly luxurious salaries that pays these very well compensated coaches that pays for their staffs that pays 
for the guys walking around, handing out cotton candy, the people who were running the concession stands, the guys taking the tickets, the gals who were walking, you know, all of it, okay? Ratings are the driver for that. Yeah, ticket sales too, but ticket sales and ratings tend to go hand in hand. It was a bad business decision for the NFL to have people, or it was just bad business to have people who were taking a knee during the anthem. Not particularly complicated. It's costing them money. They're a private organization. It is completely within their rights to say, we don't want to lose money because you're engaging in this kind of speech, so stop it. I could go on TV, for example. I could go on a, on a cable news show, or even better, a broadcast news show, if they'd ever have me, which they won't because you know I'll smoke all those old clowns, but that's a different discussion. Can't handle the buck in debate. Uh but if I started dropping F-bombs on air and I claimed that I was, oh, I'm just engaging in free speech, well, one, you can get fined for that because the FCC, but also, so, so there are actually, you know, free speech was a free speech. It's not as free as we think it is. But could uh, CBS or NBC boot me off the air and say, well, you're costing us money because of these fines. You can't do that? Of course they can. So y- you can't be costing your employer money in this way. That's it, right? This is on This is working hours conduct. It is on the field in their professional capacity. The NFL is not saying you can't vote. The NFL is not saying you can't organize politically on your own time or whatever you want to do out there. They're saying you can't do things that affect our business. So it's legal and it's legitimate. Is it wise? Yeah, I think so. Because the contingent of the country that believes that the social justice warrior approach to police minority relations or you know whatever it is it's never even been clear why they were taking a knee they've never even really been able to break it down for us all so we can understand why do you feel the need to do this but apart from that the nfl spends a lot of time and a lot of money supporting uh, seeming to be supporting of uh veterans issues supportive of the military the nfl has really tried to steal baseball's bacon as being America's game, and there are few things that are going to make people feel less America about your enterprise than doing anything to show disrespect during the national anthem. Right? That's just its going to be a hard pass for most Americans. So it, it also doesn't open dialogue. It doesn't, it, I think it hardens uh, people in their positions on this. You know, I, I don't, and then when you, Working the Kaepernick is the whole thing. Is a he's a grandstander. He's a whiner, and this guy's made tens of millions of dollars. I mean, these people are so lucky. You know, they really are. And that's I think where a lot of the resentment comes from. With so now you're going to be disrespectful of the flag. You're you're going to be disrespectful of the flag. We got you know 22 year olds walking around in Afghanistan right now who could be hit by sniper sniper fire or an IED any moment. And you NFL players who are taking the knee uh, are being paid millions of dollars to play a kid's game as grownups. And you think life is so tough? I, I, you know, so I, people can disagree with me on this part. But that's fine. But this is just how I feel about it. I think they look like disrespectful babies. But that doesn't really matter. The NFL's made the decision. NFL's allowed to make the decision. It's legal. It's legitimate. And it's going to be good for business. And... A lot of these NFL players are going to find out real quick if they push too hard on this. Very few of them are irreplaceable. Very few. 
There, it's a short, li- it's a short player lifespan in the NFL, and there's always somebody else coming up. So I, I think they might want to fall in line on this one. That's my sense of it, at least. Uh, I want to talk to you about the uh, incident that happened with my old friend and colleague Tommy Laren, where some jerks uh, assaulted her. Uh, we'll get into that coming up in a little bit. But uh, I, before that, I, I've got a well, at least one, maybe two bizarre stories to tell you about. I mean, just just really out there stuff. And that's one of those previews where you're just going to have to stay with me and you'll find out in a second what I'm talking about. Our sponsor this half hour is a place where you can go to get tasty coffee. I mean, world-class coffee blends. And also they've got gear. And in the whole process of checking this stuff out, you can support veterans, a veteran-owned and operated company that's hiring even more of their fellow brothers and sisters from the military and building a great American brand in the process. Black Rifle Coffee Company, they have all of these different delicious blends. I'm a subscriber. I go with the K-Cups, but you can get AK-47 Espresso Blend, Silencer Smooth. You can get Just Black Freedom Blend. How can you not like that, right? Freedom Blend, it's amazing. Don't buy your coffee from a bunch of commies. Get it from guys who love this country and love their coffee. Black Rifle Coffee Company. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code BUCK15. That'll get you 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash BUCK. Coupon code BUCK15 for 15% off. So one of the big problems with the left's view of the world through this thing they call intersectionality, which is just different groups constantly trying to oppress one another or rather different groups that are all being victimized by other groups, one of the problems is that there's really no one to referee this thing, right? That you, you start to get into the realm of, well, who's the bigger victim, therefore who has more clout within the progressive movement or within progressive ideology to get their way? I mean, how do you make these distinctions? And, you know, you can argue, well, is, is the LGBTQ community more oppressed than the black community, more oppressed than the, uh, you know, illegal immigrant community, more oppressed than the Islamic community, more you get into this, who's, who's the most oppressed in this country? And I think depending on who you ask, you'll get very, very different answers. But here's one of these times when, and this is not made up folks. Okay. This is a real thing. I I don't know. I don't know what the left is going to do because you got two very much protected groups here that are in conflict, and I don't know who the uh, progressive social justice warrior referee is going to give the win to. Here's what's going on. And this just, uh, I think the story just, yep, just broke this week. A female Muslim nail salon employee has refused, and just, you know, trigger warning here, folks, has, has refused to wax the genitalia of... A man, or what we would call in the pre-2016 English-speaking universe, a, well, a man, but now we're supposed to call a uh, biologically assigned male, because that's the thing that they say, um, because the, the female, uh, uh, she won't touch his private area, but he is transitioning. He claims to be transgender this is a male to female transgender who is telling a female muslim that she must apply wax 
to his man parts, which he still has, even if he chooses to go by she. So she's looking at this from the perspective of, I am not trying to place wax strips. I, I am not comfortable placing wax strips on a, um, you know, on, on, a, on a penis, because that's what we're talking about here. And, you know, they're saying, well, hold on a second. You got to do it because he claims to be a she now. So he is living as a she. But she's saying, meaning the female Muslim who's biologically female, well, hold on a second. My religion strictly prohibits me from touching the man parts of a biological male. Right? So who, who wins in this battle? I don't know yet. But the male-to-female transgender in this case has uh, has filed a $50,000 human rights complaint, okay? And, and it, because uh, he wants a Brazilian wax of his genital area. $50,000. Uh, didn't want... Didn't want a leg wax and... Only wanted to do this. Uh, hold on a second. This is the president and CEO of what? I'm trying to figure out who is the one who said this. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Max Wax, manager, president and CEO said women have this is a quote. Women have penises and women have balls. And if your staff is not comfortable, they can. Look for another job. Um, women do not actually have male genitalia. That is not true. And I think it shows us how the intersectional SJW world just falls into complete and utter incoherence when you have people who are out there saying... That, in fact, women have male genitalia. But I also wonder who wins here. You know, if I could... I really am curious. If I could sit down with the Huffington Post editorial team, you know, if I, if I could get them to sit in the same room with a, a patriarchal white male Christian like me, I would ask them, who gets their way here? Does the transgender male get to tell the Muslim female that her Islamic faith doesn't matter when it comes to a transgender individual who wants a waxing of his special parts. But but producer Mike, do you want to make a call on this one? Who wins? I don't know who wins. I, I, I that's I'm, I'm sort of stumped. I don't know. This what is do kind of like the Hulk versus the Thing. It could go either way. You know, that's how I see it. Yeah. But the don't the Thing don't do no not that the Thing like the Rock Man. Oh God, that's getting it's getting worse. It's getting <laughs> yeah. worse. All right, we're, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna close this one off here and uh, we're gonna come back. I gotta tell you about how the left acts like a bunch of children. Uh, that's next. That'll be fun. Some of you may have seen, but a bunch of uh, liberals were incredibly rude and in fact uh, assaulted my old colleague and friend from the Blaze, Tommy Laren. And you know, there's video of it, too. You can't see all that much from it, but you can certainly pick up what's going on here. She was um, at 
a uh, rooftop restaurant in Minneapolis. And people started, you know, heckling her, harassing her. And sure enough, uh, somebody on a on a social media video, you can see it throws a drink now, not the not the glass, but throws, you know, the the liquid contents at her as she is uh, leaving the restaurant. And look, look, Tommy's Tommy's a tough cookie and she took it very well. But I just want to note she was with her family and it's bad enough. I mean, Tommy was there with her family. I think her mom was with her. Uh, it, it's bad enough to assault a young woman because of her political opinions. I mean, that's that's a surefire way to immediately identify yourself as a a moron with no judgment, no integrity, and no honor. Right? You, you just you don't assault. First of all, you don't assault a woman. Period. But you definitely don't assault a woman because you don't like what she says. And then add on to that that she's there with her family, and I just think that anybody who has any decency knows, you know, you don't, you don't ever make someone look bad in front of their family. You know, I mean, in general, but especially a stranger, right? I mean, it's, if you want to try to engage a public figure in a debate or something, you know, there's a, there is a difference between, uh, you know, let's, let's say some, uh, you know, I, I was going to try to think of a CNN, CNN anchor, right? But, you know, if you had, you know, Don Lemon walking down the street and you wanted to go up to him and, and engage him on a subject, by the way, I think you shouldn't do that. But you know, if you wanted to talk to him, excuse me, sir, I really wanted to, you know, he's, he has every right to tell you to blank off or walk past you. But, you know, if he's going for a nice walk with like his mom or something, it doesn't matter what his politics are. Leave the guy alone. He's with family. Like we should all have that. And I mean, all of us, irrespective of, of politics, we should all have that. Uh, that basic respect for for one another, and clearly some people don't. And I'm sorry, but they tend to be Democrats. This kind of bad behavior, this I don't like your politics, so I'm going to mock you, yell at you, ridicule you, throw things at you. You know, the right doesn't have an antifa. It's on the left. You know, the 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 right doesn't do the shout people down at colleges, don't let them speak. That's on the left. There's a childishness and an emotionalism that has become a widespread. I mean, the contagion has gone well beyond even just those who are politically active themselves to it's kind of a cultural position, right? I mean, I speak to people who are complete morons, ignorant of all kinds of necessary points of policy for them to hold the opinions they do. But they know, I'm not supposed to like this person. I'm not supposed to like that person. You know, they just know they've been programmed. Anyway, I, I just, I see this, and, and Trump tweeted out uh, support for Tommy this morning. Obviously, millions and millions of people have got her back on this one, and she knows that. But, you know, and I know it's gotten her in the news cycle, and people on the left are saying, oh, but this is, she's, you know, she's lucky this happened. No, no. You know, I've been out and, and I've had people come up to me and say, you know, hey, I saw you on TV. And I'll be honest with you, when they're nice, it's great. But I don't always know. You know, I don't know what I'm dealing with. And if somebody came up to me in my day-to-day life and was rude or, you know, was going to give me a hard time, um, I, I would have a real problem with that. You know, I would have a real problem with that. I mean, Tommy said it, I believe, as, as well, on either on Twitter or on Fox and Friends in the morning. And she's just a person, too. You know, all of us are. And in this social media age when 
everyone can just reach out and talk to everyone all the time. It's great because like all of you can email me, Facebook message me, tweet at me, call in if you want. And we're really in communication. But unfortunately, it also means that the the idiots out there who have no respect, who have no uh, decency, are it's easier for them than ever to reach out and say terrible things, but but also to feel like they may get their viral moment, you know, standing up, being part of the resistance by, you know, uh, ridiculing a conservative who's trying to be with his or her family. I mean, look, it's a good thing I, and I'm not trying to talk some big game, it's a good thing I wasn't there, because I roll with a lot of conservatives in media out and about, and I can tell you, if, if anyone threw a glass of water or anything like that or, or got up in the face of any of my, my female colleagues from The Blaze or Fox or people I know from The Federalist or you know National Review or Town Hall or you name it, uh, things would get rowdy real fast. Things would get rowdy. That, that I can promise you. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad Tommy's all right and uh, you know she's, she's going to be just fine. But it's really indicative of a mindset, and the mindset bothers me. Because when you look at the comments, there are a lot of people, a lot of liberals, that were cheering on what happened to Tommy. And that's just a disgrace. It's just a disgrace. What pathetic, utter losers. You know? We all have a choice, my friends, and I know what side of this you're on. Same side I'm on. We have a choice to be good and decent each and every day. A lot of liberals don't make that choice when it comes to people they disagree with on politics. Roll call's coming up. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. I gotta say, I kind of like those. I kind of like those groovy tunes. Uh, I I get a little bit excited about it each time it uh, it comes on. It's like my it's. That may be now. It was dubstep roll call originally. That was my favorite. But we may now have moved on to the uh, jazzy roll call. I don't, I don't know what we call that one, but it's, it's certainly good. I'll have you all know that I do, in fact, have a new intro for the Freedom Hut with Buck Sexton. I have other cool things, including a logo coming up. For the, uh, the Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton. And the first episode, I can tell you right now, will drop on June the 6th. Or the week of June 4th. I think it's going to be June 6th. So uh, more details on that as it comes along. But I'm, I'm hoping that all of you, even those of you who are live listeners to this radio show, I hope you will be willing to try me out on the podcast. It's going to be a little more of a free form. It's going to be the home of Commie Bear, for those of you wondering where Commie Bear has been. It's going to be some different stuff than I, than I do here on the radio show, but same buck, just different format. Uh, same buck, different day. That's the plan, at least. That's what we're going for. So please do uh, give it a shot if you... Well, I can't have you download it yet because it's not up yet, but get ready for it. All right, first up here for Roll Call, uh, we have... Michael, who writes, hold on a second. If you are still looking for an apartment, you might look at blankety blank. It's just south of the Pentagon, built in 1941, has character and woods. Uh, Okay, 
Thank you, Michael. Look, the team is so helpful, man. You guys are trying to help me get an apartment, find a place to live. You guys are the best. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I'm getting closer to finding a place to live down here in, in the district. So uh, there we go. Next up, we have, hey, Buck, love the show. I'll always lead with that. Well, thank you, Jen. And your roll call percentages of inclusion go up each time. As a vertically challenged female, I'm a sucker for long legs. I agree with that survey on male attractiveness 100%. Remember, Jen, it's not just long legs. It's not just tall, according to this scientific study of a whole lot of different folks. It is the proportion of leg length to the rest of the body. I'd never heard of this before. I I feel like this can't be true. And it's only true of men, meaning that females who are heterosexual find men attractive based on the proportionality of legs to the rest of the body. And I've never never once heard a woman at a bar like, oh my gosh, did you see like the proportion of his legs to his torso? It's like practically golden triangle like level of perfection it's like it's like a fibonacci sequence it's just like perfection in mathematics um yeah i don't i don't think that's happening really but in the back of women's minds they may be like oh my gosh he dresses so well and he's like so handsome and really like the amygdala right the lizard part of the brain is like proportionate legs to rest of body and like you don't even realize i don't know I'm not a scientist. There we go. Carolyn next up here. Hey, Buck. Love the discussion about the generations. I think the reason that millennials are so lame is because they were raised by baby boomers. You know, hippies. Filthy hippies. I'm in Gen X, and our kids are known as Gen Z, also known as iGens, because they're glued to their phones, thumbs ablazing. My iGens are very happy not to be considered millennials and will most definitely be ready for the launch pad of adulthood. Shields high. Well, thank you, Carolyn, for the note. And yeah, Graybeard Millennial, Buck Sexton, reporting for duty. Um, Next up here, we have Sterling, who writes, Buck, couldn't agree more on the Black Panther movie. Also, this is coming from somebody who wanted to enjoy it. I have seen Deadpool 2 from someone who surprisingly liked the original Deadpool, though they went a little heavy on the language, feels like they did everything wrong they could have done in a sequel. Did not enjoy Deadpool 2. Wow, Sterling, that's that's disappointing. I was actually planning on, as you know, I don't go to movie theaters, but I was planning on seeing uh deadpool 2 so i'm a little surprised here that uh to hear that it's not good ah man you know deadpool 1 was was funnier than i thought it would be so i had to give them credit i think it was one of the highest grossing r-rated movies of all time so there's that lauren up next here skim milk equals water pretending to be milk almond milk equals almond juice soy milk equals poison I'm dying because my family, besides my dad and I, vilifies whole milk, and I'm going to use this on them. Lauren, you go, girl. You tell them the truth. Soy milk is poison. That was my favorite, too. It's totally true. Lauren also writes, you might like the documentary called The Magic Pill. It's about the benefits of something called a ketogenic diet and argues that our food pyramid is upside down 
and it definitely supports as much bacon as you want. It's on Netflix, which I'm annoyed with about the whole Obama's thing. Ugh. Well, Lauren, lots of wisdom here in these in these messages you're sending on Facebook, and uh, I am familiar with the ketogenic diet. I also just I, I try to think these things through, right? Uh, ten thousand years ago, a hundred thousand years ago, what did human beings eat? Vegetables, plants, and meat. I know for a fact we were not eating uh, 70 grams of sugar in a sitting from cereals and Slurpees. You know, I, I was in a 7-Eleven earlier this week, and I just couldn't help but notice they're definitely trying to change and get there's some fruit that you can buy in 7-Eleven. I mean, they have a pretty wide array of, of options, and I'm sure it varies from location to location. But there was so much in the way of just n- non-food food offerings. You can't help but notice it. I mean, the notion of going in and getting like a 64-ounce, what is it, a Slurpee or a Big Gulp or whatever it's called, this this giant bowl, essentially, of sugar water is terrible for you. And this was like a thing. I mean, I remember in the 80s and 90s, all these teenagers going going into you know, 7-Eleven to get their, their uh, what is it, a Big Gulp or Slurpee, whichever one. Brandon, what do they call it? I think it's a big gulp. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's a big... Yeah, I'm right. It's a big gulp. Well, that's just a big thing of soda. What's a Slurpee? Am I crazy? I don't know. A Slurpee... Yeah, Slurpee is... Okay, yeah. The Slurpee is like the cr- the ice drink. Like a slushy. The, yeah. No, they call it a Slurpee. Well, six of one hand. A slushy is different than a Slurpee. I don't know. We're getting all over the place here. Point is, a large container full of sugar water. That's all it is. Terrible... Terrible, terrible for you. In in nature, you never come across concentrations of sugar the same way you do in our food supply over the last 50 years. In fact, if you look at e- even something like honey, honey is clearly a sweetener. No one ever sits down like, I'm going to eat a bowl of honey. I mean, when I was a kid, I may have eaten a bar or two of butter, you know, but that was okay. Uh but no one ever sits down and, and wants to just ingest a sweetener. It might It's useful for the rest of, of your food, but it, it's not something that's a primary ingredient usually. Whether we're talking about soda, look, I'm very anti-soda. I'm just going to tell you. you know, I don't put any sugar of any kind, any sweeteners in my Black Rifle coffee, uh, and I'm very opposed to soda. Yeah, once in a while I'll have a ginger ale if I'm feeling saucy, uh, but I, I wish I had never even learned about, or not learned, but never even tasted Snapple iced tea, that stuff is just full of sugar. It's just bad, you know, all these things. Uh, sodas, you know, Coke and these companies now, they understand they're getting into the low-sugar drink game because that's where everything's heading because this is a new phenomenon, okay? It wasn't until the 20th century that people were drinking sugar water as a as a main part of their diet. And when I go into places now, and I'm like, do you sell water or milk? And they basically say no, and my only options are soda. I get very frustrated. There's a lot of there's a lot of that going on. Uh, all right, see, Lauren, you got me all fired up, and I didn't even get to the more of the roll call here. Uh, here we go. Brian writes, "P.S. Just finished your podcast on the millennial front. You ain't. You're a zennial, also known as my personal term, and ex-millennial. Huh? Okay." Dude, I'm pretty sure I'm like a graybeard millennial. And even if you're right, I'm going to pretend that I'm right on this. So how about that? Uh, one more here from Richard. Uh, 
There is elephant poop coffee too, fed and sorted out later. L O L. Well, I don't know if he's being serious or not about the elephant poop coffee. I'm guessing that he's kidding, but there is something called Kopi Luwak, which is civet coffee. And a civet, it looks kind of like a bat without the wings. And it's the most expensive coffee in the world. We were talking about it yesterday. It's true. And it comes from the poop of this animal because the way they digest it. So there you go. All right, we're going to close on civet poop today. Thank you so much for being here, team. An honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. As always, get ready for that Freedom Hut podcast coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll tell you more when we have it. Until tomorrow, shields high.